Simmerdown Sports is back. Episode 70. 70. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And we are going to talk about the college football playoff. Does it make sense? The transfer portal madness. And obviously, or actually not obviously, a little bit surprisingly, some baseball too. And maybe, maybe some NFL if we get to it. But I mean, there's not much NFL to talk about, at least in regards to tonight's game, uh, the Steelers versus the Patriots. So, you know, they probably should have rescheduled that game till uh, today at 5 a.m. So no one would have to watch it. But, of course, people are <laughs> forced to watch that now. But, obviously, before we get into all of that, uh, we're going to go with Clown of the Week. And I think it's actually kind of related to the college football playoff. Uh, and, obviously, a lot of people up in ang- anger. You know, this is uh, a hot topic of discussion right now in the sports world. Uh, and, yeah, I'll let Jake take it from here as I, I, I will say, I do think that as much controversy as this has caused, I think they got it right. I think so too. And I know that's a tough pill for fans outside of the sec and big 10 to swallow, but, but that's the direction college football is going. If you're not in those two conferences, you're probably not going to have a favorable outlook with the committee and this is the last year of the 14 playoff and the committee having this much power. So I think people need to relax, but yeah, Florida state becoming the first power five team to go undefeated and not make the college football playoff wild that that actually happened. We thought that was going to happen almost every other year, at least in this 14 playoff era. It never happened until finally now, which is wild, but that's that's what happened to Florida State and a team that clearly was not the same team without Jordan Travis. As as much as Florida State fans hate to hear that, that is the truth. And the Seminoles will not be going to the playoff. And I'm not going to lie. I think the committee did get it right because how are you going to leave an SEC champion out of the playoff? I mean... Florida State is honestly lucky they got ranked ahead of Georgia. Like, Georgia low-key got screwed in this as well. I mean, the the, the truth – and the, the real truth of the matter is there were seven teams basically deserving to go to the playoff. And there was only four spots. So, as much as Florida State deserved to go to the playoff for having an undefeated season, at the, at the end of the day, you played in the ACC. You didn't look good your last two weeks without your best player. And your best player is out for the season. So – the, what, what is the committee supposed to do in this situation? I think they got it right. I think we're going to have a great product. I'm glad. I think they made the right decision because we will have – this was the best possible product we were going to get in the college football playoff with these four teams right here. Um, even Yeah, and Oregon as well. Great season, two-loss team. Not able to get it done against Washington. So it lightened up the load on the chaos for the committee. Kind of unfortunate. It would have been nice to see Oregon win, and then even more people would have been in shambles. Um, but I'm gl- and it made it a little bit easier this time around. Washington is in, and honestly, I, I when as I was watching the selection show, and they revealed they did the first three teams: Michigan, Washington, Texas, and then 
they they revealed Georgia at six. And then you're like, wow. So if Georgia's at six, this is really interesting because it's between an undefeated Florida State who everybody thinks that was going to make the playoff versus Alabama, a one-loss team that lost to Texas. So do they get to be in the playoff if they already lost to one of the playoff teams? Well, it just means more in the SEC. So the SEC is in. Alabama is in. You can't leave the Sabinator out of the playoff. I mean, as a one-loss team, one-loss Alabama has been notoriously one of the most scariest teams in college football postseason history. So it was very hard to imagine that the Tide would be left out. They did not. And the, the team got hot at the right, t- the right time. It's that's why, And when you beat a, a program that had a 29-game winning streak spanned over two and a half years, pretty hard to argue with leaving them out. So... And that's exactly what happened. So it sucks to be Florida State. And I wish them all the best. But they're going to have to figure out a way to get out of the ACC. And they're going to have to figure out another way to repeat success. I mean, I don't. it might be easy with the cupcake ACC schedule. But they're going to have to figure it out. And, you know, it, that's, what, that's what happens. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> almost kind of – this is – I don't even know if we should classify Florida State as the clown of the week. I, I, I think and I feel like that's just mean because they really aren't. I mean, they, they did kind of everything they they could to deserve to be in the playoff. I think in some ways you still have to clown on the committee a little bit because, again, I, I, I kind of get where a lot of people are coming from when they say, well, if let's say Alabama Jalen Milrow was hurt and you don't have him playing or he gets injured right in the last game against Georgia in the fourth quarter and he's out for the rest of the season, then right. You would think that Bama probably would still have gotten the benefit of the doubt and the injury thing wouldn't have been a consideration for the committee. So I kind of get where Florida state fans, you know, are angry because are why they're angry because yeah, for if other teams had this happen to them, like Bama, Texas, maybe Washington, you know, I don't know if we would be seeing the committee do the same thing. But again, they've been very clear that their criteria includes the, whether or not players are healthy. And I think Florida State fans definitely deserved better. But the nature of the game right now is there's four spots. And the committee obviously decided that Florida State was not a team that they felt could compete for a national title. And I think that they're correct in that statement. So the logic is really difficult here, but I I think as much as the committee's gotten flack over the years, they don't want a repeat of last year. They don't want a repeat of previous seasons where they've let, you know, Cincinnati play and other teams play where they've put up good fights, but like at the end of the day, they're getting blown out. And I think that's just, the reality of the committee is that they don't want to have a situation where they have these teams get in that play terribly or just can't compete with the big boys. And then you end up seeing TV ratings go down. People don't watch the game. Yeah. Like all those things really matter to the committee. I mean, why do you think they're expanding the playoff to 12 teams? It's really the TV deals. And so the value in the sport, right. Is not in who's healthy and who's not healthy. It's in who are the, are the teams that are going to make us the most money? Who's going to, who's going to bring, you know, butts to seats, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, let's put it this way. 
the only people that were really banging the table for Florida State Seminole Nation to be in the playoff were casuals, Florida State fans, and Booger McFarlane, RG3, and RJ Young. Not He's the greatest the collection of people that you want defending your case. Not the greatest collection of, of humans to be defending. Also, Stephen A coming out and saying if Dion was the coach, I, I, I didn't really get that point. And 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 again, even the whole Bama thing. I look, if I was the committee and I was personally selecting, I probably would have put Florida State in. Because my logic would have been they won their conference. Who cares if their quarterback's hurt? They're in. Like again, like in the NFL, right? We don't like if let's say right now. Jalen Hurts gets injured next week and is out for the season. They don't like the Eagles don't, you know, just get canceled out of the playoffs because Jalen Hurts isn't, isn't healthy. So I, I, I get, I get, I get the casual argument or the Florida state argument or where all these people are coming from. I, cause I think if I was on that committee myself, I probably would have made the argument that like, look, it doesn't matter that their quarterback's injured. They still went undefeated. They still won the ACC they need to be able to have a shot at a title. Otherwise, what are we proving to the rest of college football that like, there's only two conferences that matter. But at the same time, as much as I think that I would make that decision, I think the committee made the right, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think my personal opinion is necessarily the right decision. I think the right decision is to look at these teams from top to bottom. And again, Bama has not been good when you look at the eye test, like, this is a very weird Bama team. I think yes, yes, Bama did have a weird season. I, yeah. I will admit. I, but at the same time, I think you have to look at Florida State's resume. You can say everything you want about Florida State being the perfect team on paper. They should have gotten in. Should have had the fourth spot. Well, their resume doesn't exactly look that great. Because how many top twenty-five wins do they have? Okay, they beat Louisville, and they beat LSU, a team with no defense that finished with three losses on the season. And that was the first and, game of the year. And so. What, what are you supposed to do when they didn't really beat any legitimate teams? I mean, and their offense could only put up 24 points against Florida, 16 points in the ACC championship against a Louisville team. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. So this team clearly didn't have the resume as well, in addition to the eye test, to have what it takes to be a playoff team. That's the reality it's very straightforward, in my opinion, why this team did not get in. The committee literally also has a clause that says they take into account yeah. player, the availability or unavailability of players and coaches. So that is why Florida State did not make it. And and I think the other point, too, with Florida State, as you said with their, with their games at, down the stretch against Florida and Louisville, if they went into Florida and they dominated with a backup quarterback, if they went and played Louisville and they dominated Louisville with a backup quarterback, I don't think we would be having this conversation. I think that you would have to go, look, they got like, you would almost improve their resume, right? That Jordan Travis went down, but this team's still really good. They're putting up, you know, 25, 35 points a game against a team like Louisville. And they only allowed, you know, one touchdown or two touchdowns. Honestly, I'm not so sure that would have well, happened. No, I, I think, I, I think I, I after think... Alabama won, I think the SEC was locked in 
and that team was going to be Alabama. See, that's, I, where, I that's where I disagree. I, I think that if FSU down the stretch played very well and dominated their last two opponents, they would have gotten in. But the thing was, is that you saw in the Florida game that this wasn't the same team. And again, they, they've like Alabama. I mean, these teams in many ways are really similar, right? Like they, they, they really struggled in games that they shouldn't have struggled in. They had kind of some surprise wins that like, you didn't really think they were going to pull out and they did. And there were many times during the season where you thought both these teams were going to be out. And I think when you look at it now, Again, if you had this Florida State team come out there and just run the table on those those last two teams they played in Louisville and Florida, I think they get in over Bama because you as a committee cannot go, okay, this team isn't good enough, right? Like if if they're beating those teams by a lot of points with a backup quarterback, if anything, that's more impressive. But – Again, they didn't. They they only scored 16 on Louisville. And for me, when you were when I was watching that, or I wasn't watching, I was keeping track of it. You kind of had that feeling right by the third quarter that the committee had already made their decision. Because again, it was a 16 to 6 game, right? Or something like that. Like it, it was just a low scoring game. You know, it, the defense obviously looked great, but it just wasn't enough. And I again I agree with you that Alabama's win was incredibly impressive because I think up until that point, the best win in the country was Texas at Alabama. And I think Oregon, or sorry, not Oregon, Alabama switched that on Saturday night when they went and played Georgia and they beat Georgia. I think that's the most impressive win maybe of the last two years in college football because you went in and you beat an undefeated 29-0 team, back-to-back national champions. And I think, you know, on top of that, like this has to be a kind of maybe one of Nick Saban's like kind of, most savored seasons. I mean, again, like this is not one of the more talented teams he's had. I mean, really, this is like probably one of his least talented teams in a long time. And he still was able to kind of get them through some of those really shaky games and put them in the playoff. And that's the scary part too, is I I think a lot of people just don't want Bama in the playoff because everyone knows, right. Bama's in, they're probably going to win it now. And they're coming off again, the best win in the country. And you're playing a Michigan team who clearly does not want to play you and was really hoping to play Florida state. So I, I again, I, I agree with you that I think it's the right choice. I think it's the right choice because it just adds that kind of element to it. I'm sure the committee took into account that it was the Rose ball and that Bama would be playing Michigan in the Rose ball. And it's kind of like the classic, you know, two teams that have massive traditions, you know, it's just everything kind of lined up for it. And so I, yeah, I mean, it was really hard for the committee to, to say no to that. I, I, I think in many ways too, there's also those people that are saying Georgia had a bit, a better bid than Florida state. I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I, I think in the end, you know, we definitely have the better playoff. I think if we had Florida state in here, a lot of people would be complaining. It would just not be Florida state fans. And, Oh, oh yeah. But well, speaking of somebody that was in shambles when, when this result came out, look no further than RJ young of, uh, Fox Sports, and <laughs> it's, so so it's funny because so here's his top twenty five, his final top twenty five. Okay, so he had Michigan number one, Washington number two, Florida State at number three, and then Texas at number four, Alabama first team out, Georgia at number six, Ohio State Ohio State seven, and then Oregon at eight. So he kind of just went, okay, here's all your undefeateds. They should be in there. Florida State, they're in there. And that did not happen. And then 
So he has Florida State in his playoff. But guess what? Guess who his number one Heisman candidate is? <laughs> Jalen Milrow. So clearly, Alabama beating Georgia was significant. Not enough to get them in the playoff, but Milrow all of a sudden deserves the Heisman now? I'm sorry, like Jalen Milrow is not even in the top five for the Heisman. Race. He wasn't even named a finalist. And he wasn't even sniffing it. So, RJ Young, you make no sense. And I don't even understand what your reasoning would be behind this. But Jalen Milrow is not going to be behind Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, or Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, in that order. That's Those were his top five Heisman candidates. So, nice little two-for-one with RJ Young. And we're not even done with Clown of the Week. Believe it or not, we have a list. I mean, R.J. Young, I have to say, like, the guy the guy has some interesting takes. That's that's for sure. And I mean, it's the, it's the number one ranked show for a reason. I wouldn't be surprised, though. Again, it's just knowing Bama, I would not be surprised if Jalen Milrow, Milrow turns into, you know, prime RG3 in the playoffs and just goes off. I mean, you, some, just, you just know it. Some like, Ohio I, State quarterback room 20 – 2014 type match. Yeah, yeah. And and again, you have to love the Michigan t- watching the Michigan players realize they were gonna have to play Alabama. <laughs> if, if, I, I will I will say if there was any team in the country that deserved the playoff like or really the ball matchup or playoff matchup, whatever that you got, because that was one thing I wanted to add the clown of the week this week was some of the ball matchups, like Oregon playing Liberty in the Fiesta Ball when we could have had Oregon play Ohio State, we could have had Oregon play Georgia. We could have an like Oregon play anybody but Liberty. I honestly, Michigan deserves this. I mean, they really deserve to have to play the toughest team in the country because you've talked all year that you're the best team, you're the most dominant team. You've you know cleaned up everybody on your slate. You dominated Ohio State at home and blew them out by fifty six points. That's apparently, I mean, that's how it sounds like whenever the people talk about that game that are Michigan fans. And now you got to play Alabama, who's coming off the best win of the season so far. And I don't care that Georgia was maybe hurt. I don't care like that, you know, it was a neutral site game. I, I don't care about any of that. I think if you're Michigan, you are in for a hell of a four, uh, four quarters. That's for sure. I, I, I mean, yeah. I personally have Alabama dominating this game i don't think it will be a blowout but i think i think alabama is going to dominate this game i mean from the beginning I'm, i think jg yeah. mccarthy is going to have the worst game of his career as a michigan it, quarterback. it, it kind of seems like michigan has yet to like put together like their best football against a top team and i wonder if alabama is going to be the wake-up call and if they can recover if they start slow you know so but the, this year's playoff certainly has a chance to be the best playoff of all time in the final year of its existence so i am 100 looking forward to it but moving on down our final candidate here on clown of clown of the week rounding out the list it's tyler buckner the san diego product uh he started his career at notre dame obviously didn't work out couldn't get the job so then he follows his former offensive coordinator tommy reese to alabama thinks he can come out on top in the quarterback competition there. He did not. And at one point, he got his shot even this season still to, and did not go well. It went right back to the bench. And now he is transferring back to Notre Dame, and he's changing sports entirely. <laughs> like, what was the point? What was the point? 
That, 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 I mean, it was the point was to see if he could play well at Bama so he could get drafted. But I mean, now I mean now he has the chance to win two national titles in one year, which is pretty cool because Notre Dame won the national title for lacrosse last year, and they're really good. So how are, how are you good enough though to take the field during that regular season for the Alabama Crimson Tide, and then suck still enough to have to change sports like that? That is wild to me. And I, I hope it works out in lacrosse. I mean, maybe you should have been doing that. In the, you should have been doing that in the first place. Um, he was a lacrosse no. player. Oh, so yeah, but he I was, like, I, I mean, he's from he's from the area of San Diego I'm from, and it's just a very lacrosse heavy area. And so there's a lot of great lacrosse players that come out of San Diego, particularly in North County, and he was one of them. He was he was a fantastic lacrosse player. So. I personally disagree. I actually think, I mean, I get it. Like his football career didn't work out. And obviously like the transferring kind of is crazy, but I, I think it's kind of cool that he has an opportunity to win two natties in one year. I mean, that's something that like not a lot of athletes can say. And again, I don't know how much of a integral piece he is to that Bama team, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how he does in uh, lacrosse for sure. So. Yeah. But that's tough. I mean, yeah, glad, glad he was able to come back to Notre Dame, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, that's got to be interesting, transferring back to call. I mean, yeah. So the transfer portal stuff is definitely getting a little nuts, I think. You know, you, you just basically have guys going to four different schools in four different years. You know, every every year they're at a new school. and Sometimes they go to five schools. And that being said, okay, so if we're going to be upset about Florida State not making the playoff, what about the Flames? Where's Liberty? Nobody is saying anything about Liberty. They were undefeated as well. They didn't have a great resume. Why aren't they in the playoff? They absolutely deserve to be there. They didn't make it. What is going on? And that that's tough. Liberty finishes at 23rd in the final CFP rankings. Disrespectful. Just 100%. I mean, let's just put it this way. They beat New Mexico State by more than one score. And Auburn only lost to Alabama by one score. So, and obviously New Mexico State beat Auburn. And I'll say obviously again, that means obviously Liberty's better than Alabama and deserved a better, has much more of a right to be in the playoff than Alabama does. Am I wrong? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Liberty should have been represented. And they should have a chance at Michigan. I, I think Liberty was what was a good football team, and they they proved themselves. It's about the eye test, you know. So I think the um, the funny thing with the twelve team playoff is I saw like the way the final rankings went down. It was it was actually that Alabama had the like their they would get the bye, and they would have to play the winner of Liberty in in Florida State. And I was like, the fact that Alabama is in the fourth spot. And that's their game they get to play is so hilarious to me because if it was a 12-team playoff this year, they would have had the easiest semifinal game. I know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it – it'll be weird to see how it shakes out next year. And I can't wait to see who that group of five team that comes out and is undefeated by the end of the season. I but, do wonder who it would be. I mean, I like that's, that's going to be an interesting prediction, I think, for next year's college football season. Is to kind of see yeah. like which which power like you know to track that throughout the year of which power five teams get, or non power five team you know is looking good. I mean, I you know who I would love to see in there. They go. <laughs> but we need Rutgers. Where is Rutgers? 
But speaking of the college football playoff, appearances by conference, it's kind of interesting when you examine this for a second because the numbers are might surprise you. And the SEC, out on top, obviously, they have a combined 12 playoff appearances this year. They got Alabama in there, and Alabama is the all-time leader in college football playoff appearances with eight. So it really shouldn't be that surprising that one loss Bama got in the playoff to start, okay? And then you shift on down. The Big Ten is at number two. Ohio State has made it five times. Michigan now has made it three times, three years in a row. And Michigan State has an appearance. So that is a total of nine times by the Big Ten. The ACC actually has eight appearances. So the ACC has not been a weak conference. Or at least it might be top-heavy, but they've had some representations, like serious representation for sure. And Clemson six times. Florida State only made it once. Can you believe that? At the After these last 10 years, Florida State has only made it once in the college football playoff. And that was in the first year, I think, of, his, of its existence with Jameis Winston still. Lost to Oregon. So, yeah, and a, and a bad loss to Oregon in the Rose Bowl. And even Notre and they, they are helped out in this total by Notre Dame making it in 2020. So that counted under the ACC because they were in the conference. Oh, that, that was year. so weird. So, so when you count the Notre Dame's playoff appearance, ACC made it eight times, right next to the Big Ten, basically. And then the Big 12 made it six times. So not too far behind the ACC, but I was surprised that the ACC made it more times than the Big 12. I was not expecting that. And I think it's yeah. because the Big 12 just kind of eats, like everyone just eats themselves alive in the Big 12, whereas the ACC, you know, you just have two or three teams that are really good. And then of those two or three teams, right, two of them are – it's one's Clemson, one's Florida State. And then there's always like a random one like a Louisville or North Carolina or an NC State that goes undefeated and then has like a terrible loss like that, you know, they in a game they should have won and so they don't go to the playoff. Like I feel like that's just like the capitulation of the ACC. <laughs> uh, no doubt. And moving on down then to my next opinion – it's kind of a hot take, but I think it's becoming a sad reality. And it's that college football is becoming the NBA. And you might think, no, that that's not possible. They're completely different sports. Well, they're doing all the same things. And it starts with the uniforms. Schools not, aren't even sticking to their uniforms really anymore. Tradition is out the window. Oregon, they tried out almost a new set of uniforms every single year. Not every year, but almost every single year. They're usually pretty good, but other teams aren't capable of doing that. And look at Kentucky this year. They got new uniforms, and it was not as not as clean as what they used to be. They should have never have changed. Um, they took out all the good details, especially featureizing that checkered pattern. And you look at Florida State, downgraded their uniforms too. They took out all the details almost completely. It's all the tomahawks and the different colored sleeves. They out the window. And they downgraded their uniforms this year to look like Jameis Winston's first year at Florida State, back to that Heisman year. And I, I don't I don't agree with that. And then you got all these athletes, they're just never satisfied at the school that they originally went to, and they just keep switching it up on us. And now transfer portal position rankings are a thing in today's society, which is wild. I mean, JT Daniels was the start of this, and we didn't even realize it at the time. Um, but yeah, he went to like four, four schools in five years. Absurd. And three of the four Heisman finalists this year transferred to their current schools. Um, it's the three quarterbacks. You have Jaden Daniels at LSU, 
coming over from Arizona State. You have uh, Michael Penix Jr., who came from Indiana to Washington. And then you have Bo Nix, who, who's made himself a kind of almost a household name now at Oregon. And he was not the same quarterback at Auburn. He has made huge step, huge, huge strides in his game um, in the two years here at Oregon. And that second year window, uh, and that second year when they at the new school for those quarterbacks has been the, the boom is crazy. And it's just like really encouraged now with the new transfer rules. You have a one time free transfer, basically a get out of jail free card. And then you have the graduate tra- transfer, which has been common. That's been happening. Um, but that's just an extra option in case you're the start. The first four years of your career didn't go <laughs> the way you wanted it to. Here's an extra fifth year. And then the third option is apply for a hardship waiver, which is what people are still doing this as well. And most people are granting it because I think there's just been such a serious influx and there's just been such bigger matters for universities to worry about that somehow they are getting these approved by the NCAA and whatnot. So you have three different ways right there to transfer. And it doesn't always get approved, but for the most part, pretty much everybody gets through the system. And it's just way too much for me. And players, they just don't care about bowl games. It's just like NBA players, like Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard. They don't care about the regular season. NBA literally had to make specific rules to fix that. Um, Both sports literally had to adjust their regular season and or postseason formats to fix their product on the field and ratings. I mean, college football had a bowl game problem. Now they expanded the playoffs. So at the very least... It seems like we will get 12 meaningful postseason games now. And the NBA, they had to make the in-season tournament. We were like, that, that makes zero sense. And what 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 a meme that's going to be. But it's actually kind of been a success. It's spotlighting regular season teams, uh, regular season games, and making those primetime games more compelling. And adding the play-in tournament for the playoffs, some more meaningful games right there. It's It, it was good last year, I thought, and it's probably going to stay. And the only difference right now separating these these two sports is there's no midseason transfer portal for college football. We talked about it while Ohio State had a, has a quarterback problem or had with Kyle McCord. And they needed a midseason transfer at quarterback like no other team in college football. And that's not a thing, so it couldn't matriculate. And it's not like the NBA where you can make trades, even in the middle of the season. So um, I think – a way to fix that is we're going to have to, the, like Caleb Williams, opting out of the Holiday Bowl. That was not surprising. And people that are complaining about that are simply haters. And the only way to fix that is you got to start getting some baddies just sitting in the front row at football games like their courtside NBA games. I mean, did you see, Finn, what happened at the Nuggets game the other night? They, they There's some random baddie that people are pretty sure – the NBA planted, or the nugget, the Nuggets planted, and it got like career performances, or out of uh, Reggie Jackson and a retro perform, uh, vintage DeAndre Jordan performance, out of those guys putting up ridiculous numbers, and they're pretty convinced it's because of that girl sitting in the first row courtside, uh, right to the to the left of the Nuggets bench. So we might have to start doing that in college football. Get these guys back on the field one way or another, and. Um, it, it, that would be pretty funny to see. And we, we, we really might get a new college football video game from EA Sports before Notre Dame joins the conference. That's just kind of a random side note. But I realized that today. 
and how to include it. That is just absurd. That is one of the most absurd, um, you know, I, thoughts that I've ever thought about. And it's actually probably going to happen, believe it or not. So uh, Notre Dame just insists on being a, a, a one-man show over there and making their schedule their schedule the custom way. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're. I think all the points you made are right, though. But uh, to to speak on the Kyle McCord one, I mean, that one's really weird to me, right? Because, like, I I remember, or I was listening to Joel Klatt this morning, and he was kind of talking about the same thing, right? You know how like the whole transfer portal and and the way the college football is moving, you know, guys are just kind of going to the places they want to go. They force it, you know, they're not developing properly. And it's kind of like, right. You know, the whole transfer portal thing is like dessert, as he said, you know, dessert's great until you have too much of it and then it's not good. And so, you know, it's weird to just see how it plays out now. Right. Cause it's, you have these passionate fan bases and it kind of works the same in soccer a little bit. Like if anyone follows soccer, you know, with Man United, you have Harry Maguire and they've tried to, you know, push him out of that club for years. And it's the same, like, you know, that happens all the time where players force moves and it's, you know, due to personalities and, and conflicts. And it's sort of the same thing now in college football, because in the NFL, right, it's really hard to do that. I mean, you rarely see that happen. And most of the time it ends up right being a contract holdout and then the parties agree and then, you know, it's over with and they play for that team that they were holding out on. But in college football now, like, as you said, it's just like guys can just kind of go wherever they want. And I don't know if college football is doing what the nuggets are doing. I don't think that they went that far, but who knows, you know, they might be, they might be doing <laughs> they, that next. I, I think that they might have to pick up on some things. Yeah. Because... No, they, they might. And, and I think again, right. Like the crazy thing about, the last week and a half is you just saw how, how Kyle McCord got ran out of town. And again, I've been one of the biggest Kyle McCord haters, I guess, if that's the right way to put it for quite a while. Now I I felt like before the season even started that this guy wasn't very good. I think everyone could tell early on in the year that he wasn't dynamic. He had a good arm, but he was too immobile and he was kind of just, you know, just cemented in the pocket. And I, I, it wasn't fair for him to get run out of town the way he did. No. Right. Like the guy still in his first year as a starter went 11 and one played pretty well at Michigan. And that's not an easy environment to be successful in as a quarterback. And the game wasn't really entirely his fault. I would blame it more on Ryan day with the play calling. I mean, maybe that's to get a lack of trust in your quarterback. But at the end of the day, right, like this guy still put up pretty decent numbers. I think, what was it? I think he had like 15 touchdowns and like four interceptions or something like that. And they weren't bad numbers. And again, any quarterback can go into Ohio State, I think, and be pretty successful. But it's just crazy to think that the entire fan base and and it really looks I think it's a bad look for the OSU fan base because it just kind of shows, right, that they're no better than these players and, and they're part of the problem of turning college football into the NBA. And you, know, this kid, like, you know, he probably dreamed of playing at Ohio State. And for it to end like this, like, it's terrible for his confidence. You have to assume, right, that, like, it hurts his chances of going to another school where he might be successful in a better system with a better coach. I, I you know, I don't, again, like, I just, I looked at all this and I'm like, okay, is it good that he's leaving and it, is it, 
good that we're likely going to get a Cam Ward or we might get, you know, some guy in the portal that is a little more dynamic. Yeah, 100%. But at the same time, you got to feel for the kid because it's just like he just got ran out of town for for what? Being an 11 and 1 starter in your first year and again, maybe holding back the offense but still playing pretty well and and we're, you know, a, a a drive not even a drive like two or three plays away from beating Michigan I mean again right if he if he makes if if he doesn't throw that interception and they go down the field and they score he's the Ohio State quarterback next year <laughs> really I mean it I was mean, yes, one sure. drive that caused him to get to have to leave the portal it really was one drive unless like again someone transferred in and he lost the job but I mean now it's like where's he gonna go Nebraska which is you know, probably even worse situation. And then I wouldn't be surprised if we see Kyle McCord at like, you know, an even smaller school in three years, like Temple. I mean, the the thing is though with Kyle McCord is if you're not going to be a playmaker outside the pocket, you have to be money from inside the pocket. And Kyle McCord did not do that. He wasn't just putting on a clinic, a passing academy clinic inside the pocket at Ohio State. I mean, maybe they beat up a little. They beat up a little bit on the on the lesser teams, but he like he didn't, you know, dominate Rutgers, and he didn't light up the scoreboard really much. And it, like the interceptions were not great against Michigan. Obviously, the final play, pressure in his face, got hit as he threw, not entirely on him, but he can't. It, he doesn't navigate the pocket well. He doesn't, you know, he's not great under pressure and. I think there, there are obvious limitations when you watch Kyle McCord and you knew that this is not the Ohio State quarterback that the fans and Ryan Day is used to. And so I was kind of surprised he made it as long as he did. And it's unfortunate the way it ended, you know, losing to Michigan, going out like that on that note, you know, for the entire team, not just even him. And uh, hope maybe hope, hopefully he'll find a better fit. But I just don't think Kyle McCord was the right fit for Ryan Day. At the same time, you kind of wonder, are the previous quarterbacks of Ohio State, C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields, were they products of the system or did they carry Ryan Day in Ohio State? You kind of wonder now with how it looked and the play calling against Michigan. It, it is, I think it's a legitimate point and it's it, it's an interesting question to, to, to raise. I think that you have to I, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think Ryan Day is getting carried. Again, I, I just, how do you have a guy like CJ Stroud on your team and you can't beat Michigan at home and you can't beat, I mean, you can't even win a national championship. And that's also with the fact that you had probably the most talented receiving group in recent college memory outside of that Bama class in 2019 or 2020. And yeah, I, I just, I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. And I think a lot of Ohio State fans are kind of feeling the same thing where, you know, it's been five years and it hasn't, you know, he hasn't really performed well in the games that mattered. And that's what matters when you play it, when you're an Ohio State fan. And that's what matters when you coach that team is it doesn't matter if you can beat even Penn State or if you can beat Iowa or Wisconsin, like it's Michigan and it's those top five ranked opponents that matter. And it's winning games in the playoff. And he hasn't done that. And I get the argument of, oh, you know, is anybody else going to do a better job? And I would be like, yeah, a more dynamic play caller. And the problem with Ryan Day is that as much as we like to, you know, hate on Kyle McCord and, and again, you know, talk about all his flaws, 
he was pulling the same crap with CJ Stroud. I mean, again, if you watch that Michigan game from last year, it was the same thing. Run the ball on first down, not taking shots downfield, not utilizing your weapons that you have. And, and, and to me, that's the toughest part about watching Ohio State play now is that they just there's no semblance of aggressiveness in the play calling. And you finally could see in that Georgia game when they kind of let C.J. Stroud have more of you know the reins and kind of just let him play. He ended up putting up, in my opinion, the most impressive college quarterback performance of last year. And then now you're seeing that translate over into the NFL where he's arguably been the best rookie quarterback in a long time and is looking like potentially a perennial pro baller and maybe even an MVP candidate. And so I think right then and there for a lot of Ohio State fans is kind of the aha moment of, of, yeah, this guy clearly, you know, is great at getting talent and he clearly has a staff that is really good at developing it, obviously with Brian Hartline, but you kind of saw this year, right? When he didn't have that kind of dynamic quarterback that could come in and make him look good, we struggled. And I don't know. I, I think it's hard to fire a coach that goes 11 and one, but I, I think, I think if he loses to Michigan next year, you have to let him go and you have to try and bring in someone new. Right. I mean, maybe you can poach at Dan Lanning from Oregon, you know, maybe you go the route of, of taking a guy that, you know, is building up a program. But I, I think with Ryan day, right. You kind of wonder why, stick with someone when you kind of know the same result is going to happen every time. And and I don't like the whole idea of, Oh, you know, it's not going to be better with anyone else. I'm like, well, this isn't good enough. And and you can argue that that's, that's being greedy and that's being, you know, I guess illogical, but as Ohio, as you know, fans of Ohio state, or if you talk to fans of Ohio state, you know, it's not, it's national championship or bust every year. And if you go to fans of Alabama, it's the same thing. If you go to fans of Georgia, it's the same thing. Michigan, same thing. All these programs, uh, Texas. And it's like, if you don't have that mentality right, you're never going to win a natty. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it, I think think it. we're on the last year of Ryan Day. I think this is the last straw of the Ryan Day experiment. I mean, if we don't see, you know, quarterback guru type stuff, we don't see exceptional quarterback play. And if they missed it, if they, uh, I think it's, it, honestly, a lot of it, I think is solved with beating Michigan. It does kind of feel like not beating Michigan has kind of made the fire that much bigger than it really is. And look and, at all the players that are leaving too. Yeah. I mean, that, that's another thing. Julian Fleming, obviously a notable one, five-star wide receiver didn't really accomplish much at Ohio state. And, you know, due to playing time and just, he, a lot of competition at the, at the wide receiver spot at the same time. It's tough if you're not if you're not one of the best at Ohio State at wide receiver, <laughs> then you're not gonna get a ton of playing time. It's truth of the matter, and so it's not just Colin McCord out; it's Fleming out as well. They also lost I, the running back to. They've lost. They've lost like eight or nine players through through the portal already. And and again, a lot of teams are. But I mean, that, I think that it's just the 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 way it, college football is now. I think everybody's kind of taking hits here and there from the transfer portal backups aren't happy and they want to get playing time somewhere else right away. And then if they think they can get the bag on the side of it, then yeah, that, you know, you do that. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it is interesting. It's going to be a year to watch next year for Ryan day and to see 
what Ohio State can accomplish next season after all that has happened. So why is it that in, in baseball of all sports? So you get other you get NFL free agency opens up. We got guys already going places. Decisions are already being made. There's news headlines flying in left and right. NBA, it's like this stuff is getting leaked. It seems like even before free agency opens, as soon as free agency hits, you got stuff happening all through the night. We're getting a lot of late night bombs. Seems like in the NBA, and it's action packed in free agency. Off seasons are something to watch now and to marvel at. Seems like every year in sports with the NFL and the NBA, and now college football really because college football is now the NBA. And <laughs> you look at baseball and. These guys, nothing's happening. Just straight crickets as soon as the, the World Series is over. There's nothing going on. Guys could don't even sign half the time till March, it seems like. They just don't are in no rush, no sense of urgency. What are these insiders doing? And this team is interested in this guy. Oh, wait, there's actually 15 other teams interested in this guy. It's like the slowest news to start baseball offseason. Major League offseason makes absolutely zero sense. And then you have insiders like correcting each other, fact checking each other. You know, John Heyman says yes. Ken Rosenthal says no. Um, Bob Nightingale doesn't know. Jeff Passant hasn't tweeted in two months. What is going on? And that, that's why baseball is struggling. You don't have a jam packed offseason like these other sports. You don't have a jam packed offseason like these guys. And but we finally have a major domino that has fallen, and it is Juan Soto going to the New York Yankees. And this was a trade. It seemed like there was a ton of rumors. It wasn't quite on the level of, oh, this is guaranteed to happen like James Harden and the Clippers. It's just a matter of when. But it wasn't like also, oh, yeah, the Yankees might do it, but who knows. This was like there was a good chance this could happen, and it finally got done. And the reporting on this, um, I think it was John Morosi tweeted like midday, "Oh yeah, deal's done." And then it wasn't really verified though until much later last night by Jeff Passan. And it's crazy to think that back in May I was at Disneyland, <laughs> and funny, funny enough, and the Padres beat the Yankees. Juan Soto had a two-run homer. All was well. Seemed like the Padres. Had a chance to turn it around. I mean, when you beat the, when the Padres and the Yankees meet up, it seems like every single time, especially like growing up, Padres would always lose the Yankees anytime they ever played. And they finally beat the Yankees at least for a game in New York. And it seemed like things were going to turn around. And this time, once again, I was at Disneyland, and I get the news on my phone that this trade finally gets done, and Juan Soto is going to New York instead uh, to be a Yankee. Not just because it is a regular season game for the Padres. And I think this deal, I have mixed feelings about this. I think it's good for the Yankees. Obviously, right field is a joke. That short porch is extremely friendly. Um, almost, you know, Deshaun Watson type friendly wow. for left-handed hitters. <laughs> and made it a little too friendly, a little too frisky. And But that is adding an ultra-reliable source of offense for the New York Yankees. Because they need guys just to be available with Aaron Judge, how how things have gone with him, and Giancarlo Stanton just not being available offensively because he has just declined dramatically. He's there, but he's just not good anymore. And 
So Juan Soto, insert him into the lineup. You have another Bronx bomber. And I think he might just also benefit getting away from the Padres culture. I think Padres kind of have a dark cloud over them. And then now Peter Seidler has passed away. Rest in peace. But it just seems like there is not a ton of things going for the Padres right now. And with the postseason, um, I mean, following up two years ago with the way this season went, you have some maybe egos getting in the way, uh, leadership concerns, a manager is not even a stable position. It, it's kind of all up in the air. So maybe Juan Soto benefits getting out of that, going to New York. And I wonder if the Yankees did this, though, also simply because they just couldn't get Otani. Like, are they already out on show A? And this was the next best thing. Make a splash. Because you just gave the Padres a package of pitching prospects. And I don't know. The Yankees pitching might be a problem in 2024. So, And people people are swearing by Michael King. So if, if he pans out, great for the Padres. And I don't know what the, if the, the Yankees might have some have some issues on, on that side um, going into next season. I mean, it's definitely sad to see him go. And, and my only issue with the whole move this offseason is we did give up a lot in order to get him last year. And obviously it was worth it. I mean, I think in some ways it was for the fan base. You know, we got to an NL championship series. You know, we didn't make the World Series. Obviously this year was a disappointment. But, you know, it was a big sign to the fan base that, you know, we finally had ownership and we finally had a management that was willing to spend money and make and make moves and, and, and take risks and, and, and put us in a position to win, even if it meant losing a lot. And I think that was a nice refresher from the decades of just ineptitude and, and, and apath- you know, just completely being apathetic to the situation and what was being put up, you know, on the, or being put out on the diamond. So I, you know, I, I, I think it's, it, it definitely hurts a little bit as a fan, you know, I mean, obviously, I grew up a Yankee fan as a kid, but I mean, I, I you know, it doesn't make it any better. And and I, I do think that it does add a lot of dynamic. It adds a dynamic to the Yankees that they didn't have. Uh, and I think Juan Soto will love that short porch as a uh, righty hitter. That's an understatement. Or a lefty hitter, sorry. Um, yeah, he'll love it. A lot of Juan Soto moonshots incoming in, in the Bronx. I mean, I think you're just going to see those like Stanton piss missiles just coming yeah, out of Juan Soto's yeah. bat. It's going to be great. I'm definitely going to go watch him play. I think I think this year is definitely an interesting year for the Yankees. Uh, I think even adding Trent Grisham is really good for them, you know, kind of just being a good kind of rotation player. Obviously, they brought in Verdugo as well. Yeah, the, I think for Yankee fans, obviously, they're kind of talking a lot, and it's kind of annoying to see them get really, really hyped about this. I think, as you said, the pitching for the Yankees is going to be a big problem next year. And – we also have to address the fact that Juan Soto over the last year and a half has had, you know, pretty decent bouts of inconsistency at the plate. And obviously he walks a lot, but I think a lot of Padre fans would also say, you know, he wasn't as productive as they probably would like him to be. Um, I, you know, I just don't think anything really ever clicked. I think again, him being a Scott Boris client, it's, you know, they probably knew that he was going to test the free agency market next year. And, Maybe they just were like, let's recoup, you know, what we lost. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think as the 
you know, as a Padre fan, right, you kind of just hope that we, as you said, we get a lot of pitching talent that we can develop and we can start to develop the rotation because that's just been our biggest kind of issue and what's kind of, I think, prevented us from getting over the hump of making a World Series is that we just really haven't had, you know, top to bottom good pitching. And it's just every year we've had some guys, you know, really lose games for us. And I think a lot of the inconsistencies at the plate can be remedied, but sometimes, you know, those pitching issues, they can linger for seasons and they can never get better. And you can constantly bring in new people to try and fix it. And it doesn't work. I mean, we saw the Orioles go through that for years. So I, you know, again, I, I, it's a weird situation right now as a Padre fan, obviously with Peter Selder passing as well, it's just kind of been a, a kind of meek off season. So I, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about it, honestly. I, I think, would you say it's the right move? Like, I, again, at the end of the day, I do kind of think like the organizations clearly understands where they're at and knows that changes need to be made and that, you know, they, they need to kind of just, they need to let bygones be bygones and make these decisions. And I understand that, but at the same time, right. I kind of keep going, you know, how long do we really want to endure this AJ Preller experience? Right. Like, at what point does it become a situation where it's like, we've seen what this guy can do over a, I think in my opinion, a pretty extensive period of time and enough of a, you know, enough of a timeline to make a judgment and nothing. Again, we've had these, you know, that little blip in 2021, but other than that, right. We just haven't really seen the, the consistent dominance that, you know, we would hope for as, as a, as a ball club and that, you know, you've seen the Braves start to develop, you've seen the Dodgers develop over the last 10 years. And obviously we're out of the Otani sweepstakes. So it's a weird, it's a weird situation, I think right now to be a Padre fan. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're really not that confident Juan Soto being a, a guy that, that sells that the fans love and it will be the face of the franchise, if you're really not that convinced and you don't you didn't like it love his on-field production in 2023 because he was a bit of a streaky bat at the end of the day. And so if you can still get something for him when he's 25, has a year and still has a year on his contract before he becomes a free agent and you don't feel like re-signing him, get a deal done. And they did just that and they're going to hopefully overhaul the pitching with the four pitching prospects included in this deal. And Michael King, obviously, being the biggest name. And hopefully he pans out because that pitching staff is getting older. You don't know if Blake Snell is coming back. Josh Hader's probably not going to return as well. So hopefully it works out on that end. But it is tough to see a reliable bat go. The guy that has led the league in walks for three years in a row. Just ridiculous on-base um, talent. It hurts. And, but speaking of Shohei Otani and a guy killing the offseason, headlines it is Shohei right now saying you know if I meet with somebody you cannot tell anybody and he that is what he is telling teams so nonetheless reporters are still finding scraps and they're still finding the teams that are in the mix somehow some way and Jeff Passan said he expects a decision made by the end of the week team visits have been leaked still <laughs> and how uh, is beyond me uh, and so one of them was the Toronto Blue Jays. He's meeting with the Blue Jays, not a West Coast team. So kind of interesting how they're in the mix. But December 5th, by Ken Rosenthal, it was leaked. And you kind of wonder, does it matter if a reporter or an insider leaks it and the team isn't the ones who leaked it? 
Like, how, how did he get his hands on the information? Though? Oh, it definitely does. So. Because because it's like, how do you – someone definitely within the organization leaked it. Yeah, how, how, how do you compute that? Right. So, I'm guessing it probably still matters. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if the team directly said, oh, yeah, Shohei was here. Or they take a picture outside the stadium and post it. So, um, yeah, so that that is one team that will not be getting Shohei, it seems like. And a team that definitely seems like it doesn't seem like they're going to get him now is the L.A. Dodgers. Because leave it to Dave Roberts to <laughs> botch it up. To not keep his mouth shut. Nice job, Once Dave. again, he strikes. After saying that they were going to be the World Series champions in 2023, um, he once again leaked that Shohei was there and that they met before the winter meetings even started, apparently. So, nicely done, Dave Roberts. And I really hope Shohei does not end up in a Dodger uniform because it seems like the Dodgers keep just wasting the biggest stars as well. Um, so, that would that would that is pretty funny. And the Braves somehow still in the mix for a time. And that would just be KD to the Warriors straight BS. And hopefully that does not happen. But it'd I don't be think weird for him the, to sign for the Blue Jays, though, in my opinion. That 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 one's interesting to me. I don't really think that's good for the league, too. And I don't no, think him signing with not. the Braves is good. Um, I would say face of the franchise. What makes a lot of sense? Giants, Mets, and Cubs. Those would be fun teams. They've been willing to spend before, haven't been able to get it done. Would be fun to see him in either of those three spots. The Giants are always scary, too. Um, They are always in the mix. And they missed out on Aaron Judge, Carlos Correa. And they're still looking for somebody to just absolutely splurge on. So do they finally get it done with Shohei and you get some San Francisco action happening in the Bay Area? I think there's there's some high potential there. Yeah, so, and the the Giants are, have always been a sneaky team, on the field and off the field in the offseason. So definitely a team to watch out, in my opinion. So this is this is getting interesting. And if you look at the teams that were okay, so if Shohei just wants to win, let's say if that's number one, the teams that do make sense or the most sense then in that regard are the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Yankees. Um, it just seems like they, those guys have the have the right formulas, maybe not the Yankees as much, they, or they're just not a proven winner exactly when it comes postseason time. But it does seem like those would be your three best bets. Well, I think the interesting dynamic of the Otani saga that, that kind of has, you know, changed it from what it was, let's say, four or five months ago, or even two, three months ago, is the injury, right? Because he's not going to be pitching for, what, at least a year, maybe even two years? I think it's two years or no, I think it's one year, a year and a half. It's, a, it's at least a year and then into somewhat into that second so, year of recovery. So yeah. Again, do you want to be paying a guy the highest or yeah, it's for sure going to be outside of maybe, I guess, Saudi Arabian soccer league contracts. I mean, even this one's probably more than that. It's going to be 500 million, right? Like we're, we're talking like the first $500 million contract in American sports. It, it, I, I think everyone kind of is looking at this and going, yeah, this is probably going to take the record as the most expensive U S sports contract. I mean, cause you, you, if you spend like, let's say 60 million a season on Shohei, and that's not probably the right number. And it might be over uh, still and, or it might be just under, um, but let's say you spend average 60 million a year on Shohei on this contract, however long it is. 
I mean, the Angels made seventy million in what a week off jersey sales, you know, and ticket sales. So, and Japanese advertising. So, you were literally gonna have fans of a whole country. Yeah, that's your that's team. the that's the kicker, you, I guess. You, you you could become Japan's team if you sign this guy. You will make so much money. It almost doesn't matter how much you have to pay him. It yeah. seems like, except for you have to kind of be on, under the luxury tax. Well, that's yeah. the issue, right? And then you still have to, you know, put a team around them. And I think Steve Cohen, right, is one of those owners where that's not really a problem. The money is never going to be the issue for him. He's willing to spend. But again, you're paying 500 mil minimum or 60 million a year, maybe 70 million a year for a DH. And I'm just saying like, that's, I think something that a lot of teams might be taking into account and going, you know what? Like, is it worth it? Maybe. But at the same time, right, we're not even getting the pitching side of this player for another year at minimum. And so you're really paying for a DH. And that's when I can understand teams going, you know what? I'm going to step out of this race because I don't need to pay a, D- a DH that much money. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised there's teams like the Phillies, though, that aren't more involved. I, I You know, again, I think the thing with Otani is that you have to expect he's going to like more likely than not stay on the West coast. It just makes the most sense from, you know, a strategic standpoint for his brand, you know, his location to, you know, like, I guess proximity to Japan. I think New York is the other one because it's just New York and it's an international city. And and having lived here, there's, you know, a decently large Japanese community here. And, but other than that, right, you kind of are like, okay, why would he go to Toronto? Why would he go to Atlanta? But again, he also has admitted that winning is is part of his, you know, kind of order, list of demands in terms of who he's going to go play for. And I think if he goes to the Giants, you kind of have to say, okay, that's not really a ball club that might be in win-now mode. I mean, they kind of are, but they're not. You know, they had a weird kind of underwhelming season, just like the Padres. And maybe it's because they're missing that piece. But – You'd have to think, right, like he's it, – it's it's either the decision's going to be for his brand and it's going to be on the West Coast or it's going to be somewhere else and it's going to be because he wants to win. I mean, I'm just wondering if there are teams we don't know are in the mix, but they have potential. And they, they are just as much in the race as these other teams. I wouldn't be surprised I mean, if it was the Yankees. I, I think no. the Yankees – well, okay, the only thing with the Yankees is that I don't know where he fits in in that lineup. And you again, the Yankees some way somehow have to get rid of Giancarlo Stanton. Like they need to get that off their books, and they can't. Good luck. They can't. I mean, I mean it's going to be luck. Bobby Bonilla Day, but for the Yankees, you're going to have and, to pay probably somebody money. It's just going to be a serious expense, I think, for somebody to be suckered into you know taking him on. Yeah, and 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 the, and I think the other issue with the Yankees too, right, is is. Do they have the capability to do that? Is this the Yankees organization of 20 years ago that would be more than willing to, to make this type of, of move? I don't know. And and the Juan Soto trade kind of feels a little bit like, you know, it could be that kind of message to Yankee fans of like, hey, we're not going to get Otani, but we're going to get Juan Soto, right? And eventually you would assume, right, they're going to extend Juan Soto to a contract. But I mean, yeah, you would assume that's why they made that investment. But yeah, some other some other teams I think we gotta look at. Obviously the Padres. <clears throat> the Padres have been the biggest spenders, I mean, of these a lot of these teams over the last couple of years. And obviously a huge desire to win. 
still on the West Coast. So they have that advantage. Huge Japanese community in San Diego. And but at the same time, we already have Hassan Kim and we we already have that South Korean, you know, audience. So are you stealing, you know, Hassan Kim's thunder? Are we already Hassan Kim? No, I, but that team would... and Shohei can't is gonna cramp that and so then we're not we're out, you know? Yeah, like, but why really... would that matter? If anything, that's just helping the 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 addition of another, you know, massive star in in you know East Asia that you know could obviously bring in a lot more viewership, right? Because like, again, like the thunder, you know, Japanese the, Japanese television, like films, they have they ha- they film they put what is it? Yeah, they have every single Otani game on national television, and then not only do they have a channel where they play the game, they have another channel where they follow him around the entire game. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. And and again, this isn't even accounting for the fact that we're seeing more Japanese players come to the United States, and so. That's a whole another dynamic, I think, where you're going to see a lot of teams, you know, jump into that race and start focusing on getting talent from Japan. And I think once you see that, you're going to see a lot more teams or not a lot more teams. You're going to see a few teams get really good because they make really good scouting decisions in Japan. But I, I think overall, right, like part of what could help a team doing that is bringing in a guy like Otani. But at the same time, I just I think with the Padres, it's just a weird time for this organization and it's such a, it's such a, you know, kind of a really dark time. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't remember feeling this bummed out about the Padres since essentially my freshman year of college. And even then, like, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, it's a young team on the rise. And so I don't know, like, right. Like, does it make it harder to do that? Does it make it a harder sell? Because you're kind of like, you know, this team's kind of got picked apart a little bit. Like the pitching's kind of, you know, it's there in the farm system, but it's not really there on the team. I don't know. Right. Like, do you think it's kind of just not the right time? Like, you know, maybe if Juan Soto said, maybe if we, you know, we're able to resign Blake Snell and, and, and kind of have a better team around him potentially. But I just, I don't know if the Padres are, are just in a situation right now to be making that type of move. Maybe it's what rectifies it. I mean, again, it's, it, it goes either way. And some other teams, obviously the Mariners closest to, I mean, they're one of the close, they're also on the West coast close to Japan. They got rid of Jerry Kalanick. And so who are they, and who are they paying? So they got potential there and maybe Shohei likes Seattle. (laughs) And, and then a team I had to throw in here because they were winners of the off season. It seemed like last year and they just won the world series. So obviously they know how to win. There's a, there's a ton of vets, great culture, Kind of, I think it would just be a matter of money. Why not the Texas Rangers? Now, would that ruin baseball? Maybe, but that's a way to for the Rangers to stick it to the Astros and have a serious advantage in in the offense department. That would be a crazy move. And I wonder if Shohei want just wants to win and nothing else. And maybe he just go, says, "F it, we're going to Texas." That would be a crazy move to see happen. What about the Angels? I don't know if the Angels are still in it. Now, obviously, he'd still be the face, and it seems like he was comfortable there, and there's been a lot of good things to say about, you know, the way they handled, you know, Shohei Otani and let him be him, do what he wanted to do with, you know, his workouts and, you know, balancing, pitching, and hitting. So I don't know how much the Angels are still in it, but it does seem like they still have a chance. And maybe, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went back, 
But it does, if he really wants to win, and if that is his top priority, then I that would be a little bit weird to see still. And that's not the best for the league. I think the league needs to see him pick a different team. But <clears throat> it, I would be really, ha- I'd be happy for the Angels because that's all they pretty much got going for them <laughs> at the moment. And you wonder how much of the league's pressure, or how much pressure the league's putting on, you know. Otani and the whole Otani sweepstakes and everyone involved, right? Like, I, I feel like internally you have to think that Rob Manfred and, and some other execs are kind of like, we're going to try and do everything we can to prevent that because it's just, it's just bad for the business, right? Like, again, if you, if you have them go to San Francisco, if you have them go to the Dodgers, if you have them go even to the Rangers, you know, you're putting him in a situation where he's on a winning team that's going to compete in the playoffs. And that's bringing in a lot of viewership, a lot of money, a lot of advertising, I, I, I think you would have to assume that there's going to be a huge kind of coalition of people trying to prevent him from going back to the Angels. But as you said, right, like it's what, you know, why leave the place that kind of let you do what you want? Like maybe you maybe you don't want to go to the Yankees where you have an organization that's going to be much more rigid with how you do things. Mm-hmm. So and so who yeah. do you think he, who do you think he goes to at the end of the day? I'm going to say. I mean, it's a tough one. I'm, I feel like the Giants might win this thing. I feel like the Giants are just going to be major players, and somehow, some way, they might be able to finesse him, and Shohei dominates the Bay Area, and they completely forget about Steph Curry. It is Otani Town up there in Northern California. I would not be surprised. It'll be like the Trey area, but actually, actually good. <laughs> but but actually legit, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have to agree too. I, I just think like when you look at all the factors, it just seems like the best fit, right? Like there's just, it's the location. It's, it's a big city. It's an international city. Um, it's, it's a team with a lot of history of winning. They have a lot of cap space, as you said, it, it just seems like everything's lined up for that. But I actually think, there's a very good shot that a dark horse comes in like the Mariners and, and, and swoops them. Yeah. And last but not least, rounding out the show, we're going to finish it with talking about some new uniforms that dropped for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think these things were a win. Some people thought they were an L. They should no. have gone with the straight purple throwbacks, and it's, and it's a complete fail and absolute wasted opportunity. I like them. I think red and teal is a unique combo. I hope it stays around. Keep the purple as a throwback. I think it works. The diamond bleh. <laughs> but I, it's just, it's I, not that much different from what they already had. Like you're not like, what, what are they really making any changes? Like, I think, I think the classics are just so clean. Like the cutoff, like the, you know, the tank top jerseys. I mean, like, they brought back the snake D they did something right. That snake letter D is a really sick logo. Yeah. And it needs to be on more stuff. They brought it back. They have two for hats. I believe that go with it. It's just a matter of they changed um, what has Arizona on it, what has Diamondbacks on it, what has the A logo on it. I don't, I'm not a big fan of them spelling out Diamondbacks or just putting Arizona on the jersey. I, I prefer either the A logo on the jersey or you put just D backs. I don't like that they got rid of D backs. I think that was kind of a cool um, thing to put on their jersey, a cool abbreviation team nickname. And it's not there in the rotation anymore. It's only Arizona or Diamondback spelled out. 
and then a black, a cool black alternate. That black alternate is going to be fun with the teal outlining. Yeah, that, that I'll give you that. That's pretty good. I just don't like the home and away. I thought it like I thought they had the opportunity to switch it up. I mean, I I thought it would have been cool to go back to the, um, you know, like the, in the early 2000s when they had the black jerseys with the tan Diamondback logo with like the green, the teal and the purple, but it was black as like the main jersey. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking like about. Like with that, the tan, with, a... it, where, yeah, where it was tan. Like I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, and, and I really hope they do keep the classics because that classic jersey, in my opinion, is just one of the best classic jerseys in baseball, and it's an ode to the to the team that won the World Series. So, so, so you think the uniforms were an L? I don't think they were an L. I just don't think they were that great. Um, I I, I wasn't like overly impressed with them, but I wouldn't say they were awful. I mean. I think yeah. there's definitely a lot of teams that need like the Di- the Angels definitely need upgrades like that. If I was Shohei Otani, it's like if I go back to the Angels, one of the things in my clause is that you guys get me new uniforms right now. Like, <laughs> I, I I still I don't know. I'm a, I'm weird with baseball uniforms. Like I still think the Mets have some of the best uniforms in sports. I don't know why I just love them. Like the black jerseys, it's just so clean. Uh, they're they're not terrible. I I I should I shouldn't be too you know judgmental. I think it's a step in the right direction, and they're still fun. So I'm gonna say it's a win. And it's better than the NBA uniforms. The, like the every the NBA right now is the worst uniforms I think in all of professional sports in the world. Yeah, hoping college football does not get the NBA uh, uniform. Nike treatment. designers. Yeah, hopefully the Nike keep designers those Nike stay designers far away. away from college football. If keep any of them away. get near Oklahoma State, like we're gonna have big problems. Why Oklahoma State of all teams? I don't know. I just like the Oklahoma State uniforms. I, I, That's a top ten uniform for you. I think it, if you if you group them all together in college football, I think they're definitely top ten. I think Tulane is really underrated um, for Nike, yeah. but I think it depends on the like the. I mean, again, Nike kind of dominates college football now. I think you have to go to the service academies too. Like, I think Air Force has some of the best uniforms. Um. Hmm. That American tax, those American tax dollars, you know, at play right there. I think Adidas is back on the come up, man. I think Louisville might might be back on the come up with some top ten uniforms. Washington, wear the chromes. Oh yeah, that would be that would be. Wear the chrome helmets in the playoff. Come on. I don't think that's Washington, but I know um, one can win. All right, we got to wrap it up. We once again college football. When we talk about it, we go over an hour. It happened once again, so. Blame no. me. Is anybody surprised about what happened? Nope. <laughs> oh God, we didn't uh, even get to that, dude. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna save all the NFL talk for the next time we are here. We'll be here very soon. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Later.